Now, imagine the job of copying, editing, proofreading, developing and testing recipes and collaborating with Ireland's best-known award-winning food writers and chefs, including Nevin Maguire, Darina Allen, Rory O'Connell, The Happy Pair, and many more. Yeah, imagine beavering away for many years as a freelancer, unknown behind the scenes, quietly testing, tasting, proofing, writing, editing, hundreds of books and thousands of recipes, and then boom, at an ocean, deciding to start your own food publishing company. Wow. Now, the Irish Examiner has called our guest today Ireland's top cookbook editor, and that she is, along with being a freelance editor, food writer and a project manager. We are talking about Kristen Jensen. She's the founder of Nine Bean Rose, Blasta Books and Scoop magazine. And these are all Irish food writing publications that are the voice of modern day Irish cuisine. An immigrant herself, Kristen came from the States and has shaped her career in food writing. She talks to us about publishing projects, the international voices of Irish cuisine, And we ask her, what is Irish food today? We get some tips for people who dream big and want to publish their own cookbooks. This is a fascinating chat for anyone who wants an insight into the writing world or just who has a passion for good cookbooks and great food stories. Because at the end of the day, it's food and stories that brings us all together. You're listening to the Neighbour Food Podcast. We're Jolene and Jack. And here is our guest today, Kristen Jensen. Now, just as a little note, we do have to apologise. My internet speed wasn't quite up to scratch the day we were recording this online. So it does go a little bit crackly in places, but please, dear listener, stick with it. This is an amazing conversation and the next hour is going to fly by with Kristen. We promise you. Okay, Kristen, you mentioned that yourself and Jolene met at J.R. Ryle's book launch a couple of weeks ago. How many book launches have you actually attended? So I actually don't really go to them much anymore because- <laughs> But all the free had... wine. What? Well, but I live an hour's drive away. So that free wine was totally wasted on me. <laughs> um, but I just found that like a lot of times because I was the freelance editor on those projects and I wouldn't have the same level of involvement as the photographer and the food stylist who would spend, you know, maybe 10 really intense long days mm. with the author working alongside them. Whereas I was just more kind of sending them annoying questions questions like is this a, can't leave a punctuation mark <laughs> oh no punctuation I could just you know I could do that but it was more is this a large frying pan on a medium heat and do you cook it for 10 minutes <laughs> so um so I was always I was literally invisible you know I oftentimes wouldn't like in, in publishing in freelance publishing anyway you often wouldn't meet the author face to face much less mm. now you know everything is zooms so it was yeah it would it would almost fit like from my perspective it would be a bit anticlimactic to go to these launches because I I was kind of not in the cool kids club with the photographer and the stylist and the author. Mm. <laughs> ah, but you are in the cool club as far as we're concerned. Ah. Come on, like we got we we got to talk to you for a reason. Can you actually introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you're actually doing? Because somebody's just after popping in here and now goes, hmm, who is this lady? <laughs> who is this unpopular lady? Who is this unpopular lady? <laughs> so I'm Kristen Jensen I was a freelance editor for over 20 years in the publishing industry here in Ireland and last year I set up my own publishing house uh, which has two imprints Blasta Books and Nine Bean Rose and in a few weeks at the end of this month we're also coming out with a new biannual food magazine called Scoop as well so I've got three pillars to this company we've got Blasta Books which is a quarterly 
cookbook series of like these little mini hardcover cookbooks. Mm. We've got Nine Bean Rose, which is the imprint for the more full-size traditional cookbooks with the photography. Yeah. Um, sorry, also the Bluster books are illustrated. And then Scoop, as I said, is going to be the, the biannual magazine featuring long-form food writing, which Jack knows all about because he mm -hmm. just submitted a piece for it for our first issue. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's me in a nutshell. So just after all that time freelancing and like I said, kind of being invisible and behind the scenes, I'm very mm. much now front and center, you know, like advocating for more diversity and representation and inclusion in the Irish food publishing space, which is nice. the whole reason we set up these projects. And how does that make you feel? <laughs> I try not to think about it because I'm too overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, people say like oh my god how do you do all this and what people don't realize is I've been juggling all you know multiple projects for all these years but because I was freelance nobody knew what I was working mm. on so it was all invisible mm. Mm. so I, this is you know I kind of take it in my stride but it is a lot <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay so after 20 years of working freelance you've now decided to just dip a toe how about by doing and 10 fingers by, well, by like doing... full body jumping you know cold shock therapy total immersion <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Is, is there any other form of food writing that you're not launching and trying to publish right now if we've got magazines well, right short now. form <laughs> <laughs> you know who knows about next year <laughs> anyway that's 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 really really cool can we dip in a tiny bit more into the three different pillars maybe and yeah. talk a, a little bit more about what they are so let's do full full length publishing first okay so that would be nine bean rows yes and so those are the cookbooks that when we think about cookbooks you know it's maybe 100 recipes 250 pages the, all the beautiful photography and styling and you know really kind of doing more of a deep dive so with nine bean rows i've published two cookbooks so far the first was about this time last year called and for mains with gaz smith and rick higgins and people might know gaz smith from michael's in dublin the yeah famous kind of surf and turf restaurants. Mm. And then Rick Higgins is a fourth generation butcher, Higgins family butcher in Sutton. And those two have a, a very close working relationship. Rick supplies, you know, like the best meat to Gaz for his restaurants. And so during pandemic lockdowns, they cooked up this idea to write a book together. And mm. then I kind of got roped in really unorthodox at the very end, actually. Uh, it was effectively a self-publishing project for them, but they, mm. they got it all to a point and then realized they didn't really know what to do with it then to mm. get it across the line. Like they had the photography, they had the writer, they had all the pieces, but then they just didn't know how to make it into a book. So that's where I came in. Mm. And again, that was just going to be a freelance job, but then Gaz and the company was brand new, as in I hadn't even published anything yet, but it was established. And Gaz goes, well, you're a publisher and we have a book. Why don't you publish our book? I said, well, wow you've paid for everything and done everything but okay this seems like a win-win mm. <laughs> so, so i'm really uh proud of the fact that that book was just shortlisted it's called the international association of culinary professionals iacp wow. Wow. Cool. iacp cookbook awards which are like the oscars of the cookbook awards oh, so they are shortlisted in its category which is the chefs and restaurant category one of only three books and it's just surreal, like you were saying, how do I feel about it? It was surreal when I got that email to see this book published by this little ragtag team of, of misfits mm. <laughs> up against these huge multinational, long established, well-respected publishers holding its own. So that, that's incredible. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. That is 
fantastic well done well oh done. thanks so Thank like you. even no matter what happens I already feel like it's a win and most importantly it's putting Irish food on that kind of international mm. stage mm. and uh, so that was that was our first book and then I've just come out with uh, last month our second book called Bake Traditional Irish Baking with Modern mm-hmm. Twists by Graham Hertrich aka the Cupcake Bloke mm-hmm. and what he's done there is he's taken it's an even mix of traditional recipes and he'll start with the traditional recipe and then you turn the page and it's got this modern on it so for example when you look at the cover it's really fabulous photo of soda bread okay. but as john mckenna who launched the book said it's sexy soda bread mm-hmm. it's really striking and it's the modern version like you can see that it's obviously soda bread but there's something going on it's got this yeah. Pant Ferran spices in it. So it's got this beautiful kind of golden glow and yeah. you can see that there's maybe, you know, some kind of spices or seeds in there. So it's this even 50-50, you know, you've got traditional scones and then you turn the page and there's all sorts of, you know, different spins on the scones or you've got Guinness bread, but then he's got a rye ale and honey bread. He's got mm. chocolate cake, but then he's got a chocolate stout cake with a honeycomb whiskey frosting. So it's all about making use. So, well, first of all, it's all about honoring the traditional recipes the foundation we all know and love mm. exactly mm. and yet also incorporating the ingredients that are more widely available to us now mm. and have become part of our larders you know things like pomegranate molasses or mm. the, you know these spices that you never would even would have mm. heard of 10 years ago and now there's all sorts of you know fabulous food shops popping up all over the country where you can actually get these ingredients that would have been impossible to find mm. so that uh, so i think i feel like bake really encapsulates what I'm trying to do with these publishing projects, which is to update the story of Irish food, kind of away from that cliched, stereotypical mm. potatoes and beef and Guinness. Meat and potatoes. Forever and ever. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that soda bread, is that the photograph that's right on the cover of the book? Because I have this, um, this picture in my head that you see, and it's like a really striking image of a beautiful soda bread against hot pink background that's right oh my god it's beautiful and it just shows the power of of a strong image really isn't it you just want to grab up that book and oh, eat it. Gobble it. And you know what as soon as i saw that photo and you know they would send them to me on whatsapp as they were going through the photo shoot i was like that's the cover just that's uh, it yeah oh, and then we gorgeous. also picked up on that hot pink and the paper edges of the book are hot pink so oh, again it's like oh traditional irish baking but you know even by picking it up whoa what's going on here you know mm. it's, it's also brand new bang on trend you know brought right up to date I love that, that 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 contemporary feeling in the cover very much is unique to what you're doing I think can we move into the blaster books series yes. and maybe explain and for people who aren't listening they're, they're very identifiable mm. by their yeah. particular style Obviously. and design can you maybe explain to us the difference between what a blaster book would be and then a full kind of a full-length traditional recipe book like you were speaking about Okay, so, you know, those full length books there, you know, the, the image, the stereotypical image you have in your head of a cookbook, that's, that's what Nine Bean Rose, that's what we're doing. Whereas Blaster books are A5 size, which is, you know, for context, you know, it's a little bit bigger than if you were to fold a piece of paper in half. Copy book size. Maybe it is, you fold a piece of paper in half, actually. I think that's what A5 is. Half and and, um, <laughs> and they're hardcover, 72 pages. So they're, they're short and sweet. And so, they are, you know, not at all in the same, you know, like their own separate little kind of thing. And they're a quarterly series. So they're like this intersection between a periodical 
magazine and books. Now they're hardcover, mm. they are very much books, but mm. again, like they come out four times a year, they come mm. out every three months. If you sign up on the website and order the um, series all in one go, then it's kind of like a, a present to your future self. They just mm. arrive in your letterbox. Yeah. You might've even forgotten that you'd bought them. Uh, so that's that's what Blasta Books is. That's all it's ever going to be is just these kind of four books a year. And in fact, as we're talking here, it's going to be announcing next four books oh, on social media Fabulous. for 2023. Oh, yeah, exciting. So, exciting. So, and the way I um, started the Blasta Books project, which kind of started the whole thing, was via Kickstarter last year. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people thought, oh, that's just books. But no, that was really kind of just the seed funding to launch this entire publishing house. And, you know, so far so good. And um, we, I've got up all ready to go. Two of them are well underway already. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to see what the reception is to them now tonight. Super, and, and as like, I'm a pretty avid cookbook reader and um, it's really such a clever concept mm. because most cookbooks um, are quite land although I do sit down and make my way through them usually and kind of earmark certain pages and return to them and whatever, they, they tend to sit and be encyclopedic to a certain point. Mm. Uh, whereas the idea of this subscription, you know, accessible to, to tackle a book and, and kind of finish a book, I mean, of course, I'll still keep them. But to do it in that way is is really brilliant for approaching as someone who actually uses cookbooks to to eat at home so I, th- I think it's it's yeah it's great and it allows you to work with different chefs and smaller projects and put things down so I, i'm sure it must be a really for someone who's published so many you know big books beasts well, that was yeah. you know yeah, I, I was books. actually um came at it from the perspective so this was back in 2020 during like the the serious lockdowns you know when you couldn't go more than two kilometers from your house. Mm, mm. And so just have a lot more time on my hands like everybody else and mm. spent a lot of time thinking. And this was, you know, to provide some background context, this was the summer when the Black Lives Matter protests were, mm. were happening in the States. Mm. And to make a long story short, one of the outcomes of those protests was a conversation that started happening in media about representation mm. and who's represented and whose voices are heard and who's seen. And that trickled down into food media. Mm. Whose food are we publishing? Whose food is, you know, um, acceptable and whose mm. is still considered othered? And I saw those conversations happening. They weren't happening in Ireland. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're usually a good few years behind. But it struck me that we are so multicultural here, much mm. more multicultural than I think most even Irish mm-hmm. people realize. Mm. And that, you know, and again, being involved in the food world and, and this industry, I knew of all these people doing amazing things in food, but they just weren't, you know, like they didn't have the TV show mm. or they didn't have a quarter of a million Instagram follow- followers. Mm. They weren't ticking the boxes for the big book deal. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, modern times being what they are, technology being what it is, there's got to be a, another way to widen the net, to increase the platform, to share more stories and more mm-hmm. food. And that's where Blasta Books came from. And, you know, the fact that they're little, the fact that there's four a year, even the fact that they're illustrated, it was all mm-hmm. to kind of keep costs down mm. for me as a brand new publisher. But also, like you touched on, Jack, for readers, instead of spending 25, 35, 40 euros 
for a book or even more. Yeah, know, more, more, sometimes more. Gotten very sure. expensive in publishing as well as everything else. Mm. This is like a little bite-sized taster. These books are 15 euros. I like to think they're about the upper end of an impulse buy practically, mm -hmm. or you know, mm -hmm. like they're three takeaway coffees. And yet it's this yep. cookbook that you can just kind of Take a, take a sample. I say Blasta books are to cookbooks what street food is to restaurants. You can just <laughs> have a taste, you can have a try, and That's then brilliant. hopefully That's it will brilliant. you know spark your curiosity to then go look for those bigger books now that you've sure. experienced yeah. it and familiarized yourself with it. Yeah, and yeah. as you said, for the price of a fruit salad in Dublin Airport, you can have <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks of trying out something exciting. And then most of the chefs you're working with, as you know, they're not food writers usually on their part because they probably have their time quite full how to manage coax these busy chefs into giving you a little cookbook when they haven't done one before that's or maybe they question. have maybe some uh no oh sorry because yeah. that's one of the other things about bluster books i'm committed to publishing first-time authors like the yes, whole time you know this opportunity to people who've just kind of been a bit locked out of this publishing industry yeah. before now mm -hmm. uh so I gave, um, I have to say the first two books, Lily Ramirez Foran yeah. and Patrick Hanlon and Russell Alford, they had the shortest deadlines by virtue of being the first two books, but everybody mm -hmm. else has pretty long lead in times. And even now, um, when I'm looking ahead to next year's books, two of them have been written and are in production, but the other two are still being written. So they've, they've got a long time to be able to really refine their recipes. And that's something I did on purpose too, because I know from my own experience, like I've written cookbooks and as an editor, oftentimes you actually don't get very long of a deadline mm. if you're commissioned to write a book. You might only get a couple of months to write a hundred recipes. So it's a yeah. totally different prospect. So it is a lot less intimidating. A Blasta book only has maybe 25 recipes. Brilliant. Do you know what and I love? About a lot of these. Sorry. What's that? I, what I love about the blaster is the name itself. It means tasty, doesn't oh, it? That's right. Yes. <laughs> Do you know, and like the way I hit on that, as I really wanted to name them Bia Books, mm. I think that was taken or the website, I don't know, somehow it just wasn't available. And so I was just kind of walking around going, I don't know, I don't know. And my local Londis, and I think all Londis shops have this, they have the, the deli. Mm. And in Neon behind the deli, they had uh, like Blasta Bia. Oh, yeah. oh, Blasta, that's it. Blasta books. So, thank you, Londis. It's 2% now for Londis. <laughs> <laughs> but as my designer said, and this is something I didn't consider, she, she's like, oh, it's a really good name because also people can pronounce it. You know, anybody yeah. can pronounce it. So it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. And, you know, even just looking at the word, it has a strength to it mm. and a power and an energy. I was like, oh, all things, yeah. you know. Yeah. I love talking to designers and artists because of things like that. It's like, I would never have thought that, but she's mm. right. And you know, what's interesting about that as well is that that Irish word, but a lot of the topics and um, that are, are kind of themes that are coming through in these books are international cuisine and like that diverse food culture. So it's a really nice kind of mix and bringing the two of them together. Why do you think it's important to showcase um, this type of diversity? Because this is Ireland now. I mean, you can tell that I'm not, from Ireland, like I grew up in D1. It was supposed mm -hmm. to just be for a year for an adventure and that was 1999. So I also say this is as Irish as I'm ever going to sound like this, <laughs> this is, I'm stuck with it, this big Yank accent. But, you know, so I'm an immigrant. I was looking at my daughter 
who's now in sixth year and you know we live in county louth it's hardly dublin or cork or one of the big cities mm. and i'd say almost you know more than half of her friends are also first generation irish kids just like she is uh you know of mm. children of immigrants whether that's from poland or um there was one girl she was friends with from albania mm. uh just all and like this is in county louth and then when you drill down further into food, look at what's on the street in Dublin. Look at Capel Street. It's just this mm. global treasure chest mm. of food. And yet that's not being reflected on our TV shows, mm. in our magazines, in our food columns, and definitely not in publishing. So with mm. the first four Blasta books, the first one was Tacos by Lily Ramirez Foran, who I mentioned before. She's Irish Mexican. So mm -hmm. she again, she's, a Mexican immigrant, but has now, like, you, there's this tipping point that we've all reached where we've lived in Ireland longer than we lived in our, you know, our home mm. countries. So she considers herself Irish Mexican. Then you've got um, Jess Murphy, who's the author of book number three, The United Nations of Cookies, who's from New Zealand mm -hmm. and owns the beloved Kai restaurant in Galway. And then you've got Kwanji Chan, who was born in Hong Kong, but moved to County Donegal when he was eight years old. Mm. So. And then you've got uh, Owen Klusky and Patrick and Russell, who are, you know, kind of our <laughs> Irish contingent, our, our native Irish contingent. Keeping so when anger. we all get up on a stage, and if we're doing a panel discussion or something like this, I, I love it because we are literally the voices and faces of modern Ireland. We all look different and we all sound different, but we are all proud to call Ireland our home and to be Irish citizens. So mm. it was just a way of reflecting that through food and telling that story, you know, through that lens because the other side of that coin as an American is I get so annoyed, especially every St. Patrick's Day, to see these outdated perceptions of what people think Irish food is. And it's just like, you know what, this is not good enough. In the year 2022, this is not good enough anymore. This is not okay. It's time to it's time to update this story and move the needle forward. It actually drives me mad as well because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an international impression among maybe food, food people. Where, where I live here, there's a lot of winemakers. So, there's a huge love for Ireland from the Italians because a country, in a sense, it's an amazing country to visit because the light is white versus yellow and oh. you get these winds and you get, you know, it, it really gives you the opposite feeling. So, so the Italians love visiting Ireland, but then always have the same thing to say. It's like, oh, it's amazing. And you love to have a pint, but like you don't eat very well, you know, and <laughs> oh, I, I disagree. Live I think we eat great food. Amazing food. <laughs> and it's just because maybe on a bigger scale, like I think Ireland has always had an interesting food culture, but on a, on a, on a bigger scale, it's new, you know. So now the idea that it's actually quite easy to land into good food in Ireland is new. So, and, and you hear it from people who are more recently visiting, are coming back and being like, we actually ate so well, you know. Mm. So, and I think that's what's really exciting. And then Ireland's food culture seems to be very responsive, while other countries with a stronger historical food culture tend to kind of have the wool pulled over their eyes a little bit and might be kind of still hammering into those same things that they believe are culturally important in relation to a food system and you're kind of going yeah but there's you know 300% growth in McDonald's in your country in the last six months you know so, <laughs> so I often so, think of um, cheesemakers in yeah. that regard if you look at like a french cheese maker or an italian cheese maker and they're so bound by tradition mm. whereas in ireland when we had that farmhouse cheese making revolution in the 70s mm. 
there were no rules mm. to mm. be. I think that can be kind of blown up and applied to all aspects of the food culture that, you know, mm -hmm. we, because we aren't so high bound by those traditions mm. and the way it's supposed to be done, mm. we're a lot more free to, to play. Yeah. Um, and, and you're never going to lose the identity of something being Irish, whether it's, you know, someone who's making tacos, for example, because all chefs and it doesn't matter where they come from are always still going to make that effort to try and find things that are around them to be part of it in terms of local sourcing. So it is always going to remain with kind of a, a spine inside the flavor profile of all of these kind of international things which is unreplicatable in mexico for example you know which is where things get interesting then is is kind of fresh identity mixed with with unique more more kind of local identity and mm. um, lily will often say that that she says you know so she's cooking her authentic mexican family recipes but using irish produce and she is always the first to say it's the best of both worlds yeah, it's, it's amazing you know, yeah yeah gorgeous mm. and this then the was a topic the that was covered as well um at the Blasta heron awards wasn't it did you um host a panel discussion on this yes it was you know the the only tiny question you know what is irish food and that promoted a, a, an hour and a half of conversation after that i guess <laughs> well it's it's a question that i don't think it really has any definitive answers and in fact the first issue of scoop magazine and every issue is going to have a theme that first issue, what is Irish food? Mm. Making the same exact point that it is not, you know, like, yes, the, the beef and the potatoes and the milk and the butter, like they're all, you know, the best in the world, but it's also this and this and this, or it can be a both and. And it's trying to just share this story and across the whole issue, it's just all these different takes on it of, you know, no, this is Irish food. It's not just all beef and get a stew and mm. pull cannon. Yeah. We do eat more than that. <laughs> yeah. So. My, my kind of most, not discovery, I would have known it all along, but it kind of clicked with me recently is, is to try and break. And the more we talk about this, I bring it up a little bit, but to try and break the, the idea that Ireland's climate is not suitable for producing food hmm. because it is believed that we're not. But the reality is that it's significantly better than most of the countries who mass produce food for us. So where we, so the Irish climate is incredible for biodiversity from the point of view of the irrigation and, you know, um, the amount of light and, and the temperatures that don't go so cold in the winter. Granted, we don't get the, the quarter, the, the, the both the 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 tomatoes that require 40 degrees for for three months to be able to to ripen but like mm -hmm. irish tomatoes the certain varieties that work here really really well mm. are significantly tastier than those same varieties that are grown in really hot countries because the longer things grow the more flavor that develops so i i think that that ireland isn't just kind of propping up an international food culture on the back of loads of imports like we're actually advancing what we're producing ourselves and creating the products that are then filling into these new inspirations Mm, yeah, it was always my understanding that it was more of a, or, or like my my take on it was more that it was less about the climate and more about just the viability of farming mm. some of these mm. things when you are competing with cheaper imports from abroad. Mm. But uh, I I don't know if either of you are familiar with the CSA model from the states, like converted agriculture, Computer, and it's sports agriculture, kind of small. Yeah, yeah and. When I was in college in the States, you know, we, this house I lived in, we subscribed to a CSA and it was brilliant. Mm. Or I suppose during the pandemic, you know, it'd be the veg boxes. That would be the closest thing that mm. kind of became a thing. 
but I always thought like, God, I would love to be able to have something like that here, mm. you know, just to support a local farm growing a variety of different things in a way that the farmer benefits, the local community benefits, you know, it works for everybody mm. and is actually like viable and sustainable for the mm. farmer. And I've never really understood why that hasn't taken off here. I would love to see it happen though. I have seen a little bit more of it in the last two years. I, yeah, I think there's quite a lot of it. I mean, Cork Rooftop Farm now would be a perfect example of it. They have quite a strong CSA, yeah. yeah. I mean, I do think that one of the issues in Ireland is that the season in Ireland tends to lead itself to being um, a, a quite a tight harvest. Mm, so we, we we tend to have um like your your CSA is basically um may, depending on the season maybe nothing for a while <laughs> and and then probably too much for a while mm. and then who who knows for the third part you know <laughs> so, so CSA customers can often get let down you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or they could be absolutely abundant in so many great stuff and it, it's a great surprise and then they have to like go away and preserve lots of stuff for uh, five for di- five dinner parties a week for the whole month of september <laughs> yeah, yeah. like blast through it <laughs> exactly exactly do yeah. you want to give us a, a an insight into what blaster books are coming up just as a point to note this episode won't be going out tonight if you want to say what's coming up oh yes Perfect. Mm. Oh, okay. Drum roll, please. Book number five. <laughs> oh, literally, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, book number five, which will be coming out in um, February, is going to be called, and that is by Blanca, uh, Blanca Valencia, D. Laffin, and Mei Chin. And you might know them as the co hosts of the Spice Bag. Spice Bags. Yeah. And yeah, the Spice Bag Girls. And for anyone who is already familiar with Blossom Books number three, which is the United Nations of Cookies, it's a very similar concept. What they're doing with the Spice Bags concept is like the podcast version of what I'm doing with Blossom Books. You know, mm-hmm. they are really shining a light on people who have made Ireland their home and cooking food from you know different places. And uh, so soup is the same. They've collected recipes from contributors all over the country from their home countries. The point being, we all have soup in common. Mm. It's just like cookies, same exact kind of um, idea there. So that is book number five. Book number six, which I was just working on this morning before talking to you guys, is Tapas by Anna Cabrera and Vanessa Murphy from Tapas de Lola in Dublin. Mm. That's especially exciting because it's going to tie in with their 10 year anniversary of their Uh, restaurant. So that's brilliant and it's really hard on this cold October day to be reading about these beautiful Spanish tapas dishes going well if only you know, to be in Spain at a seaside bar somewhere <laughs> so that's um that's book number six book number seven is going to be wasted by Connor Spacey and he works with the UN sustainable development goals he set up something called the chef's manifesto all about combating food waste so all the recipes in this book are going to be like their own little closed loop of zero waste books exactly exactly but i said to him like the first time we talked i said okay but the main thing is these recipes have to be delicious like Mm. that is the number one priority because it's no good being worthy if if nobody's going to actually want to eat them so Mm. that was the brief for that book it's like they've got to be flavor forward leading with their deliciousness is almost this kind of happy byproduct mm. <laughs> or not byproduct or as the case may be. Mm. And then the last book of the year is going to be Masrap by Richie Castillo and Alex O'Neill from Bahe. And this is, we were talking all about the word blaster. <coughs> this is really lovely. So Masrap 
in Tagalog, the Filipino means to just kind of tie in, you know, as a nod to the, the Blasta series. So I was really worried at one point uh, because the, the reception to ta tacos in particular, our first book was so good. Mm. And I started thinking, oh, how can I ever put together another year that's like as strong that's as good. this yeah. one? Mm. And I really feel like we've done it. It's a really great mix and really exciting food. And I'm, yeah, so I'm <laughs> nervous. That is so exciting. And um, will these books then continue on the same kind of like really graphic um, hot colors um, on, the, on, on, the, on, the, on the front of the books? Like, will it kind of fit together as a, as a unit? Each. Absolutely. So we, in fact, just were putting the finishing touches to all that yesterday. Brilliant. So the fact that we've kind of, you know, we've, we plan for the entire year means me and the illustrator and the designer, we can sit down and make sure they all work together. Mm. And mm. then we kind of look backwards to year one. It's like, okay, and as work together. But mostly as those four books and that family for that year. And you can even see it once you see them all in a row. Like for example, the color of the soup title picks up on the color of the background of the last book of the year. Mm. So they, they yeah. Easter eggs. I love the way the yeah. illustration brings it all together. Um, can, we, can we just quickly, while we're there, just talk a little bit about the illustration. Is yeah. it the same illustrator? Yes, so that's Nikki Hooper, who's based in Dublin, mm. who I actually, um, only you know quote unquote met on Instagram like I just found mm. her Instagram feed I thought her work it was gorgeous sent her a message saying hey you know I'm starting this new publishing project would you be interested can I talk to you so again because it was lockdown times we didn't get to meet mm. for months you know but uh, yeah so she was she was game for it and she's really grabbed it with both hands much done it just is getting the final tweaks and then that's off to print mm, and in these past two books so book five and four she's really now hitting her stride even with the illustrations oh, that's it's like anything even just the way we organize our work and ask the authors to submit photographs for her to base the illustrations on you know we're making it better with each book and so it's at this point touchwood it's a bit of a well-oiled machine now, you know, five, mm. six books in. So it's been really brilliant uh, working with her and just people just love her work. And that's been really great to see as well. Just you know, how brilliant. much, uh, you know, appreciation. It's, it's beautiful and it's quite iconic. It's great to have the, the, the connection through everything. And you must have her like pretty busy. Yeah, <laughs> like almost like a full-time job. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's a nice gig. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And I also read that uh, you you have another female director as well, or creative director working on the project. That's Jane Matthews, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's just the three of us. And now Jane and Nikki are working on a freelance basis. But yeah, it's just the three of us, you know, doing the whole thing there with Blasta Books Brilliant. and all freelance, all kind of in our home offices, you know, yeah. situation. But again, that's how publishing works. It's, mm. It is largely a freelance industry, which was one of the reasons I knew I could set up a house. It's like, well, I'm just going to turn around and hire the same people I've been working alongside for 20 years because we're all, you know, available. That's yeah, what we I, do. I just, I just need a Zoom <laughs> subscription. The, the office is rented. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it amazing though, what you, can, what you can do, like three people working at their desks. We made these books. It's, 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 a, it's a huge credit to you. And was it by accident or design that it was all women that happened to be working on this project? Um, well, publishing is a lot of women as it happens. 
But I'm also very conscious of, like, for example, in the split of Blasta books, so there's four books a year, and same with Scoop being a magazine. Like, I'm really committed to there being always at least a 50-50 gender split, or if it is tilted one way, then it's always going to be in favor of women because, mm -hmm. you know, We've had to fight so long and so hard to even get 50-50. It's like, well, for so actually in next year, that's only what, two? Yeah, only two men of, now a lot of those books are co-authored. Um, and I'm actually not sure what it is in Scoop, but it's definitely, it's definitely like the balance is tilted towards women. But it is something I feel strongly about, you know, with all the 50 greatest chefs and rest, you know, all these are like these panels of, like no offense Jack <laughs> you know, like you get these panels and it's just all men talking it's like we've had so much of that it's like mm. I'm not going to perpetuate that problem there are, yeah. there are there are a lot of aspects of the food world <laughs> areas of the food world that are very dominated by men for sure mm. yeah yeah but then it's, it's, it's then, you know that's because they're also the ones getting the airtime and the media time and mm -hmm. so you know, it just becomes a, a vicious mm -hmm. cycle mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Scoop Magazine, give us the scoop on Scoop. What so is we're it? on to the third pillar. <laughs> yeah, tell us. <laughs> right, so that was also launched with a Kickstarter this summer. And um, because again, being a startup, I've got all these ideas, but not necessarily a pile of cash <laughs> sitting in yes. the middle of the <laughs> so, so Kickstarter has been a wonderful way to actually make these things happen. And in fact, I would love to see more people maybe using that model to get their projects off the ground. But so Scoop, did it with Dee Laffin, uh, who I've known for years. And in fact, we worked on, um, I worked on a magazine with her. She was the editor of Yes Chef and I did some of her recipe editing. And after Blasta Books was launched, I don't even remember exactly, but it just somehow it came up that, you know, it's like, oh, I'd love to also do a magazine one day. And not surprisingly, Dee also would love to have her own magazine. So we just decided to join forces and mm. make that happen. So that mm. was quietly being planned behind the scenes for about a year before we went ahead and launched the Kickstarter. And mm. now it's full steam ahead. One week from today is our print deadline Brilliant. going to the printer. It'll be here and in people's hands at the end of the month, which is like three weeks. <laughs> so, but, wow. um, Come on, stop girl. <laughs> How does the again, it's, you know, keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> How does the model work for the magazine? Just for anyone who's interested, because books are a little bit more logical. I'm going to pick it up uh, in a bookshop. How do you get your hands on the magazine? Is it an is it an e situation or is it a a print? You know, no, you, can you get it in your local shop? Yeah, how's it gonna work? Old school print, and so the fact that the biannual magazine, and we keep calling it a magazine, but really it's more like a journal. Yeah. It's mm. gonna have like a nice dirty cover. It's not a glossy kind of throwaway thing. It's something you're meant to keep and collect. Maybe like the Lucky Peach magazines mm. of, of days gone by, if anybody remembers those. Um, so, and the fact that it's more long form writing, which nobody's been doing so far in Ireland, it's all been, mm. you know, kind of your 500 words in a quick, list in the newspaper kind of thing so it allows us to do a deeper dive into something maybe a more personal mm. spin on something as well as opposed to more journalistic you know mm. more about someone else or something else it's it's very much you know rooted in people's personal experiences uh so because there's not anything like it here you know we kept comparing it to two particular magazines noble rot in the uk 
-hmm. or cherry bomb in the US. And then it came to pass, like, oh, most people didn't know what we were talking about. <laughs> like that they hadn't heard of these magazines, so they had no context for what we were talking about. So we got the Kickstarter across the line. I'm really excited now to have this come out and for people to go, oh, okay, I get it now. I like get what they were talking about all yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. And to be, because there's been nothing like it. It's not recipes. It's not, you know, it's it's totally different than anything that we've had so far. But like Blasta Books, I just felt I'm reading these other magazines from these other countries. I want something like this for Ireland. Like I want to read mm. these stories, but about where I live and about the people mm. I know, mm. as opposed to, you know, somebody in California, thousands of miles away. Mm. So Jack, you wrote an article for this upcoming magazine, did you? I did. Yeah. Do you want to tell us what it's about? <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. Like you're keeping me on the other side of my seat. Like uh, what well, DJ said that don't, you know, hold back on anything. So it's actually quite all over the place. I have to say, I hope she had that much when <laughs> it's been a while since I wrote something. Yeah. But anyway, we'll right. see. Okay. Yeah. And can other people contribute to future issues or how is, how is that going to work? Yeah. So being the first issue, it was much more commission led. You know, we approached people specifically. But going forward, we'll be opening up, uh, you know, we'll be announcing the theme and opening it up to pitches. And so it'll be more of a mix, you know, like we're, we've obviously already got ideas of people we'd like to approach, you know, not, not just for the next issue, but we're, we're kind of three years ahead of ourselves. We have this big list of all these mm. topics that we want to explore. And then we keep having other ideas and then changing the order. It's like, ooh, mm. but let's do this. So yeah, <laughs> it kind of, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. It was getting a little much to manage. It's like, right, we're going to put all this in Google Docs. Anyway, so definitely there is absolutely an opportunity. And in fact, we really want that. We want people who aren't necessarily even in the food world or the people that you might expect for a food magazine. We want people from other disciplines. We've got a short story in yeah. the, the magazine. It's a little foodie mis murder mystery. Um, so all sorts of disciplines, all sorts of genres, all sorts of fields. Because the thing I always say kind of like my company motto like there's one thing that connects absolutely all of us and that's food and stories mm -hmm. so there's no reason only a food writer can write for this magazine it's it's a magazine about food I'd love mm -hmm. to actually chat to you a little bit about that because it's it's food writers but without recipes or maybe yes. it's you know as we're saying it's not exclusively food writers either and it's always something that because I'm being into cookbooks and, and I got that from my mother so I come from a library of cookbooks at home that I started advancing and then moved out of home and realized that I'd probably contributed to a collection that's not mine and had to start again, which I'm very frustrated about. <laughs> then I found myself rebuying certain books that, you, that mm. were there and then kind of, you know, collecting my own different types of things. And my feeling as I, because I, I am technically a trained chef and I did run a food business for years and wrote recipes that were used within, you know, my own business and, and, so I, I'm interested in, in, in recipes for inspiration, but I rarely ever turn to them for, for, for instant inspiration, let's say. Mm. So I'll read a book and enjoy the things that it shows. Oh, I'd love to try that at some stage, but, but I don't look for a recipe when I'm cooking in the evening. I have the privilege of kind of knowing how cooking works. And therefore my fridge isn't filled with loads of things that go off. And I generally take inspiration from the fridge rather than from a book. And I'm finding a lot that I'm drifting now towards cookbooks that are teaching me more about different types of, like not just recipes and a little bit more about learning 
you know, how, what the importance of sweating onions is, you know, mm. and creating right. that sweetness like in that body books that talk about, I mean, the flavor of the thesaurus is an amazing book actually yeah. to have, you know, because just mm. teaching you the idea of like whole mouth feel and completing a recipe and finding levels and understanding when something needs a lift and needs sour and, and understanding how to lift, mm. you know, like if you oversalt soup, then you drop in two or three peeled raw peeled potatoes and you take them out and that's how you remove your 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 mistake you know these types of little things which i realize you learn in chef school but i'm i'm loving finding myself drifting into cookbooks do you do you think that the industry of food writing is, is moving a little bit that way as well um like the big controversy when it comes to cookbooks in particular or recipe writing in particular some people get really really annoyed and they consider it to be dumbing down, not necessarily like those kind of, you know, great life hacks that, the, that you were just talking about. Like they, they think, you know, I was kind of joking before about, oh, is this a large pan and a medium heat and X number of minutes? Like, yeah, that could be construed as really pedantic or nitpicky or dumbing something down. But I, I disagree. I think that's all really useful information. Yeah. yeah. We don't all come from the same skill level. Mm. And if you need the information, it's there. If you don't, you gloss over it. So why For wouldn't you put sure. it Sure, and there's and nothing I'm worse always, than a recipe that uh, doesn't work. Oh, uh, Nothing yeah. worse. The whole, I, I, the whole book is done then. Yes, yes. Do you know, you don't and go I back to that book. I personally offended at that kind mm. of food writing because you're going, do you know what? This is, again, like there'd be a lot of people who weren't taught to cook. You know, they're really finding their way in the kitchen. And now they've made this recipe. It hasn't turned out very well. And they think it's them. They think they're mm. the problem when really it was a badly written recipe. I also just think that's not respectful of people's time. It's not mm. respectful of the money they spent on your book or mm. your magazine or whatever it is. And the money they went out and bought the ingredients specifically mm. to make this mm. recipe. And you haven't, you know, kind of done as much as you could have for the reader. Mm. Two people who are really, really good and they're the opposite of this are, and it's not surprising, Darina Allen and mm. Rory O'Connell. You mm. can in their cookbooks, you can tell that they're teachers exactly. because, and I often say, it's often just half a sentence mm -hmm. is just that little bit of extra information. Like mm. you add the pinch of salt to the onions to draw out the moisture and so that they don't mm. burn. And now you know that forever. Yeah. Yeah. And you can bring it to any recipe and any book and it becomes part of your, for, of your learning. So I'm always encouraging my authors to do that. Lily does it really, really well in tacos in particular. And that's also where voice comes in. You know, we, we don't want these kind of like bland, generic voiceless recipes, but when you're sharing that kind of learning, automatically you're also sharing your own voice. So I'm all for it. And I would love to see more of that happening. Like I said, there seems to be two camps where some people get really annoyed by it and they think it's dumbing down and like, oh, honestly, do we have to tell them everything? It's like, well, yes. And hmm. why wouldn't you? You know, what's it's no skin off your nose, right? It's, it's yeah, uh, yeah. like, well, well it's my, instructional and it's learning as well, isn't it? Like it's educational. I mean, because at the end yeah. of the day, if you want to be really blunt about it, a cookbook is just a glorified instruction manual. So yeah, yeah. shouldn't your instructions be good ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the stories behind food? Why, does it, why is it important for you to tell the stories behind food? Because it's like I said before, like our stories and food is what connects us all. Like our stories, I think, are one of the most important things we have, each, mm. each one of us individually. And 
the fact that so many people in Ireland, because it is a and cookbook publishing is very expensive, like they, they haven't been given the chance to share their mm. story and their perspective. So, which means we all miss out. Mm. And um, I think one of the things I'm re really proud of with Gloucester books is if you look at them, like you said, they're all the same size. They all have the same feel and look because they're all illustrated by the same person. They all have the same design. And yet their voices are totally different. Mm. And I'm really proud that that has come through and is continuing to go through now, even into the next year, that even within this small little package, there's still plenty of room for people to express themselves and, you know, through their writing, through their food. Mm. And then again, like we all win then. Mm. What, what kind of advice would you have for people who dream big, who want to have their own cookbook? Where would they start? How would they go about it? Yeah, so this is, so it's tricky, you know, like with publishing, what people have to realize is that at the end of the day, it is a business, you know, venture. So again, we all cook. I don't think you need to be a trained chef to make yourself dinner. And, you know, anybody has, I think anybody has the ability to write a cookbook. But there are those things that like we have to be realistic, like does this have market viability, you know, mm -hmm. who's, who's going to buy it now now I'm not talking about how many social media followers do you have I think that's the least helpful way to gauge a book proposal mm -hmm. or you know the viability of something and I was just reading recently in the past month or so um, even within the industry, it's acknowledged that even though that's one of the main things people are looking at when offering book deals, it's also one of the things that means the least because mm. just because you have tens of thousands of social media followers does not mean they are going to buy your book. Yeah. And most times it doesn't translate into book sales. So it's kind of like this false security when, you know, people are getting, when people are being commissioned, like, oh, but they have, you know, all these followers, like it's a home run. It's like, well, not necessarily. Mm. So, Do you know what would work though? Well, sorry, I definitely don't want to be putting words into your mouth, but I'm sure you probably <laughs> think about this, but if someone had built a beautiful portfolio, which Instagram is a template for that, yes, then you can kind of see and feel what a book can look like. So like if, if, if anyone, if I was thinking about writing a cookbook, that's probably the way I would do it. Because I wouldn't have the confidence right. to like ring you, for example, and be like, I have a book. And you'd be like, great, what's it about? And I'd be like, well, I've got a little bit of it. You know, I'd be like, I'm actually just going to build it through something like Instagram or something like that. Because then you can kind of hone and refine the look and feel of the book in your pocket, which like you could never really do before, I guess, you know. Yes, and it I love It must have been that. so hard. It was just loads of text. Like, here's all my mm -hmm. recipes. Whereas now you can, you know, get, take really good photographs with a normal phone or you can you know, even find ways to illustrate things online now too. And yes, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I, I love that democratization of, mm. you know, like whether it's blogs or Instagram, you know, mm. or TikTok, you know, there's all sorts of ways now to put your content out there. Substack newsletters, you know, these paid newsletters, mm. I think yeah. are a really interesting space, you know, just going direct to your readers and cutting out all middlemen. Mm. Um, so what I'm always looking for is a really strong story. Mm. and a really uh, and somebody who has expertise in their field so that could be somebody who's got a food truck or mm. somebody who you know I'm, I'm all about the niche mm. my, my whole publishing house is operating in a niche and that's people who love food I'm not trying to convince the person who doesn't like cooking and wants to get in and out in 15 minutes like my books aren't for them but I'm mm. I, they're not I'm not trying to be either you know mm. it's like, no these are the people who like seeking out 
these special ingredients and going on food tours on their holiday and popping into shops. You know, like there's maybe not that many of us compared to the, the mainstream, but there's a lot of us and nobody was talking to that market. Mm. You know, it's like I'm a busy full-time working parent. You know, I need a midweek meal as much as the next person, but that's that's not all I'm interested in either. And yet that's what that's all that I found was being made available here over and yeah. over again. Yeah, 15 minute meals, yeah. 10 minute meals, yeah. eight minute meals, four minute meals. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> like, uh... Can't wait for the one minute meal. It's coming out soon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think actually makes a cookbook then successful? Oh, this is like what makes a hit song or, yeah. you know. Yeah. Is there I, a winning formula? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it, it's it's one of these things like success also begets success like Jamie Oliver could probably come out with anything and it would still be a bestseller right you know because mm. he's trusted and he's built up that brand over decades at this point mm. uh and that's you know fair play that's well earned but otherwise it's you know it's hard to know like for example a few years ago spiralizer cookbooks were insanely mm. popular when we're all spiralizing our carrots and whatever and then you get all these copycat books and then you know that's maybe lasts for a few years then it was instant pot so everyone's like what's the next what's the next you Trend. know kind of gadget cookbook or what's the next thing that's going to sell a hundred thousand copies and then everybody's rushing to do their own version air fryers that's probably the next one i went the opposite <laughs> number two it's like full-on deep frying <laughs> it would have been much more like commercially smart to have done an air fryer book that would that would have probably you know I could retire already but no <laughs> no but you, you do you do get your ideas and where do you actually get all your ideas like where does your inspiration come from well it's um so with Blaster books it's a, one strong idea is is mm. what I'm looking at and again even just if you're looking at the titles you can see like okay I get it tacos is tacos hot fat is all deep fried food Cookies is all cookies. Kwanji's book coming out next month, Walk, it's all Asian food. So it's, we're not trying to do a little bit of everything. And again, because it's only two dozen recipes really, mm. it's gotta be super focused. And kind of like what I was saying to Connor there with his Wasted book, every recipe has to be delicious. Every recipe has to work. There is no room to hide in these little books and there's no space for fillers mm. because we've all got those cookbooks where you're going, yeah, this recipe doesn't feel like it has much heart or soul to it. Like it was mm. just kind of dreamed up because they were 10 short. Oh, <laughs> to, God. Yeah. To 100, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Can we talk a little bit just before we finish? Because I'd say we're coming to an end, but like your job as a publisher, editor and contributor in so many different ways does have you kind of sitting at the desk or maybe at a computer and stuff like this. But a huge part of it must also be cooking. <laughs> so. I hope. <laughs> yes, I do. I suppose to go right back, that's where it all comes from. I love to cook, you know, and I got into it moving here by myself, no family, you know, kind of not going to my mom's house for Sunday dinners or anything. You learn to cook pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And as it happened, my interest in cooking dovetailed with editing cookbooks mm. and mm -hmm. like you were saying, Jack, the stuff you learn in cooking school, I've been able to absorb so much knowledge by the happy fact that I get to read these books, yeah. every single word of them, often two times, once in the copy edit and once in the proofread. So I learned so much. 
And then the more you learn, the more you want to learn and the, and the more you mm. want to cook and the more you want to experiment. So I do, you know, I, I have to say like almost every night in my house, it's, it's cooking from scratch. And, but that's also my creative outlet. I am sitting at a desk in front of a computer all day mm. long. So going home and being able to put on a podcast or some nice music and cooking and trying different things, like that's my chance to be creative and you get to do that every single day yeah i know you get to do it every single day but i always say that to people it it, you can turn a pain in the ass part of your day into one of the nicest parts of your day so my wife for example every couple of weeks and months has like a guilt trip moment where she's like i'm cooking tonight and i'm and kind of like tries to push me out of the kitchen because she thinks that that i'm sacrificing so much he's cooking all the time i I never have to do a thing but i'm like literally that's my yoga yeah, like, I don't need to 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 go to some meditation class or some form of something, because if I can be in there for an hour and even being distracted, and I'll even look after the kids a small bit, too, and do it with them. But like if I can do a meal start to finish and I'll relax then afterwards yeah. and sleep well. <laughs> um, can you, have you a memory, <clears throat> Kristen, of, of maybe working on a cookbook or reader and kind of a recipe coming through and being like, oh, I got to try like one that just kind of was like, got to try it straight away, you know? Oh, do you know what? It's really weird. I am reading recipes almost every single day for a big part of my day. And yet, and I'm reading, you know, the whole book. And yet, like, for example, with Bake, which just came out, Mm. I don't think I made anything from it while it was still in manuscript form. But now that it's an actual book, I've been like last week, I think I made four things. You know, I made uh, you needed the illustration or the picture or something. Made, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so old. Like I've never had an e-reader. You know, I'm really, I'm really old school that way. It's like I just okay. have to have the book. But no, there would definitely be things like even just reading it on the page, you're like, oh my God, you know, that's going straight into next week's meal plan and I print it out. But it doesn't happen as often as you might think. I don't know why. It's just uh until I actually have it, maybe it's because I am looking at a computer all day the last thing I want to do then is have it on my phone or something yeah yeah, yeah I know what you mm. mean cooking mm. but uh yeah Kristen, no, that, that's always great when that happens though mm. Kristen you're you're co-authoring a book there for release um in spring next year can you give us a little bit more information on it or is yeah, it like, totally so, well, top I secret much because the publisher hasn't released anything yet so are you not the publisher <laughs> I sadly no no what? look it's, it's an amazing <laughs> it's it's they've done a fantastic job my company wasn't set up yet ah okay uh but that was kind of plan b then you know because there was a question mark like will they won't they take it and it's like well okay by that point it's like well i'll take it if they don't take it but no yeah so uh but the main thing is it's getting published which i'm delighted for this chef about and so co-authored that spent last summer going down to dublin standing in the kitchen with this guy watching him cook furiously scribbling it all down by hand. So like this entire cookbook was handwritten, you know, with my notes. And then I'd go home and type it up. Now that one, because I co-authored it, I did then cook every single recipe again myself at home because we were in a restaurant environment where all the onions were already prepped and, Mm. you know, everything was already prepped. It's like, okay, well, the way he did that, like the order that he did things in, in the restaurant doesn't necessarily make sense to do it at home because of, you Mm. know, you're, you're not just grabbing from things that have already been sliced and diced for you Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was a very delicious year that in fact tonight I'm cooking one of those recipes brilliant so dinner there oh I'm excited for this book to come out and I think 
people are going to love it. And oh, I wish I could say more. <laughs> you set it up. But, you set it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm really happy for this author that he got this book deal and that this food is going to be out there for everybody to be able to sing very commonly available ingredients. You know, it's, it's not anything too difficult to sort. And yet the results, let me put it this way. So I'd be standing in his restaurant, you know, smelling all the smells and, you know, he'd send me home with like various takeaway boxes of stuff. I didn't even know what was in them when I got home. And then I'd make it again myself. It's like, oh, it smells, you know, it smells like his food and it tastes like his food. I can't believe I made this. And I want other people to have that same experience that that they're going to taste this food and go, oh my God, I can't believe I made this. Mm. Which is really what I would like books, you know, that the recipes work. I would like to develop a reputation as being, you know, a publisher who like the books are reliably delicious because at that at the end of the day that's what we're all hoping to bake we don't be wanting to waste our time and money in the kitchen for something completely forgettable <laughs> yeah 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 brilliant and so that is a wrap for this week's episode of the neighbor food podcast we hope you have enjoyed our very comprehensive chat with the amazing Kristen jensen now since we recorded this episode a few weeks back we have to give her a huge congratulations for winning the outstanding achievement award at the Irish Food Writing Awards and sure it's absolutely no wonder that this has happened when clearly she has done more to advance food writing in Ireland in one year than we have probably seen in a decade. No wonder. Massive respect. So if you want to find out more, uh, Blasta Books, they're on blastabooks.com, Scoop Magazine, scoopfoodmag.com and ninebeanrose at ninebeanrosebooks.com. Thank you. Until the next time. Bye.